your life that was given for us. That beautiful song, the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we know you because of what you have done. We're forgiven because of what you have done. And Lord, we, we thank you for each other. That can be such a wonderful encouragement. And for your word now, Lord, as we open it up, I ask that you would show us more of yourself. Uh, give us a clearer picture of you, Lord. Uh, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Well, uh, uh, this week uh, we're um, completing or um, concluding our... Uh, gospel community series um, that we've been looking at. Uh, you may remember this uh, slide and we've been looking at the what a gospel community is. It's a distinctive community. Uh, the next week we looked at a diverse community, a devoted community, a zealous community, a patient community, a generous community and a, a peaceable community. Um, and these are the characteristics of a gospel community, our community. And uh, today uh, I want to try and bring that all together. And these marks of a gospel community is uh, due to the fact that we are a missional community. That's our theme for today and we're going to Romans 15. A missional community. Uh, we have a divine purpose as the church, an eternal purpose as the church uh, we are a missional community uh, sent into the world where God has planted us here in Raymond Terrace and beyond. And he has a purpose for us to bring the message of hope to the world around us. Um, you think of the people that you've encountered just this week. Uh, go back over in, the, in your mind, the, the people that you've encountered this week that you've had interactions with. Uh, for me, I've had interactions with people who uh, are fearful of what's going on in the world today. I've encountered people who are lonely, encountered a guy who was suicidal, encountered people who are, uh, are homeless, who have lost their jobs, just in this last week, just in our town here. And these people, we need the hope that only Jesus can bring. And uh, God has given us a purpose to bring that hope to our town, to our community. And so that's why I'm pretty excited to uh, talk about a missional community today. But where do we begin? And uh, on, on Friday night at youth, um, one of the teens, uh, a lot of the teens asked all different types of questions. And as it was a pastor and pastor night, so as pastors were there to interact with the kids. But one of the kids asked quite a profound question. And, and this is it. What does God want from us? And when he asked that question, I had a flashback to when I was his age. Because that's the question I was asking myself. What does God want from me? What's my purpose in life? And uh, what's God's expectation for me? <clears throat> and uh, I think it's quite timely, that question, because in Romans 15, Paul uh, answers this question. What does God want from us? So grab your Bibles. We're in Romans 15 this morning. <clears throat> Romans 15. And uh, I'm going to be reading a lot of the word this morning because it's the word of God that transforms lives, not the word of Aaron. So 
Um, <clears throat> whether you're on your digital device or, or in a physical Bible, we're in Romans 15. And straight up, Paul gives us what I summarised as the expectation of the church, of Christians. And he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And straight away I asked myself as I, was, I looked at this passage, well, who's the strong and who's the weak? <clears throat> it's clear that there's an expectation there that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. But what's Paul talking about here? Thanks, Chris. Those masks, does anyone else find that the masks congeal you a little bit when you have them on? Yeah. Thanks, mate. <clears throat> It'll clear in a minute. But what's Paul talking about here? Well, chapter 15 is a conclusion of what he's unravelled in chapter 14. And so if we just flick back one chapter, the beginning of chapter 14, we read Paul say, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. There it is again, this weak, this strong and weak. Paul's talking about believers. Both the strong and the weak are believers. The strong are those who have an understanding of their freedom in Christ, the freedom in the gospel. But Paul says in chapter 14, As the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. Uh, other translations, I'm reading from the ESV, other translations say don't, don't quarrel over deba um, debatable matters. Um, uh, matters that aren't central to the gospel, that don't really matter, don't, don't argue over them. Don't judge one another. He goes on and he, he points out the reality in chapter 14 of what he's talking about. Verse 2, chapter 14. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So some are meat eaters, some are vegetarians. That's the reality of the issue that he's uh, addressing here. And he goes on, well, what, what should our response be? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So here, for Paul, whether you eat meat or you're a vegetarian, whatever your convictions are to the Lord, that's not what he's really concerned about here. What Paul's concerned about is our response to one another, how we relate and interact with one another. And he says, don't pass judgment on one another for each other's opinions or their convictions. And he says, welcome them. Why? Well, he says it in that verse. For God has welcomed him. He goes on a little bit more point. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Who are you to judge? You're not God. And so he goes to unpack this further. Another situation, verse 5 of chapter 14. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. The reality, the situation at hand, one person was elevating a day to be more significant and holy, whilst other Christians, believers, were saying, look, all days are the same. Again, Paul's not interested in what your convictions are, but he is interested in the response that you have with one another. He goes on, he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honour to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So whether or not you esteem one day, whether you eat meat, whether you esteem all days or abstain from meat, you do it in honour of the Lord. That's your conviction as a believer. So Paul is concerned about 
how we relate and interrelate with one another. Verse 13 of chapter 14, he says, Therefore, let's not pass judgment on one another. Let's not pass judgment on one another. So this, this speaks into chapter 15 where Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation or there's an expectation there set by Paul for Christians to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves." He goes a little bit further than that. Verse 2, he says, let each of us please his neighbour for his good. So again, he's, he's summarising what he's talked about back in chapter 14. Chapter 14, he goes on about not putting a stumbling block in front of others. Verse 14 of chapter 14, he says, I know and I'm persuaded, you know, my personal conviction is, he's saying, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So Paul's saying, look, in the gospel, freedom we have in Christ is, my personal conviction is that we can eat anything, we can drink anything, we have that right. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, you know, about food offered to idols. He said, idols aren't anything. We, we worship the one true living God. But then he goes on, he says, but don't be a stumbling block to those who have those convictions. We have this freedom, but if others have conviction to abstain from certain foods or drinks or whatever, let them have that. Don't argue with them. Don't pass judgment on them. Chapter 15. Let us not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good. It's not just for his good. The whole point he's making is that the expectation is that believers would build each other up. They wouldn't argue about debatable matters, differing of opinions. They would build one another up and they would strive to live this way. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. This is what it means to be a Christian. Paul goes on. He goes on in verse 3 of chapter 15. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. We work to build each other up. We don't pass judgment on one another. We don't put a stumbling block in front of each other because that's exactly what Christ did. Christ didn't live to please himself. And he quotes there from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 was a, a psalm that Jesus personally identified with himself. And he, and he spoke about this psalm himself, Jesus. Verse 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. Jesus could say, yeah, I, that's happened to me. For zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproach of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I'm the talk of those who sit at the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. You know, this is a psalm Jesus quoted from and he could identify with this. Uh, Jesus was saying, uh, it, when we look at Jesus' life, we can, we can see even though people poorly treated him, um, they cursed him, the song of the drunkard, his siblings didn't want anything to know about him and yet he cared more about ministering to others than how they treated him. 
This was the servant heart of Jesus. And, and Paul is saying, let's work to build each other up. Why? Because this is the example set by our Lord Jesus. This is the, the Christ-like character that Jesus had. A character of servanthood, a character of sacrifice. Isaiah 53 uh, epitomises this sacrifice that Jesus made. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. This is the character of Christ. This is the character of a Christian that we would be marked by servanthood and sacrifice. The example that Christ set in building one another up, not being judgmental, not being arguing over certain things that don't really matter when it comes to someone's salvation in the kingdom. This is the, the Christian character that fuels our conviction to build each other up. Do you know that there's people today that still have a conviction around certain foods, certain drinks that they won't touch in honour of the Lord? That's their personal convictions. Let's not judge them for that. Let's work and strive to build each other up. What about a, a, a modern issue that can cause division? And I've seen it cause division in the church. What about vaccines? Some people have a conviction to get a vaccine. Other people have the conviction not to get a vaccine. Well, I reckon if Paul was here, he'd say, well, if you have a conviction to get one, get one. If you have a conviction not to get one, don't get one. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say get a vaccine. Nowhere in the Bible does it say not to get a vaccine. Okay? So let's not argue about this. Let's, uh, putting the public health uh, advice to one side for a minute, but from a biblical point of view, it's not biblical to abstain or to get a vaccine. Whatever your conviction is before the Lord, do it and do it in honour of him. Let's not divide our church over a vaccine, Paul would say. Let's strive to build each other up, to serve one another, to sacrifice for each other. Mm. What encourages us to do this? Well, Paul goes on and talks about having endurance, in verse 4, for whatever was written in the former days, he's, now remember Paul's writing here, so he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Okay, so the Old Testament was written for our instruction as well, not just the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture... That includes the Old Testament. He's breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. When I read that, I thought of the, the breath that God breathed into Adam to bring him life. That same sense that God is breathing out life through his scripture. And it goes on to say, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The good work of servanthood, the good work of sacrifice, the good work of building each other up? I think so. So how, how do we um, have this character of Christ to build one another up? It's through enduring the scriptures, endurance of the scriptures, being in the scriptures. 
just as Christ was in the scriptures. At the age 12, they, his parents found him in the temple interacting with the teachers of his day at a young age. When he began his ministry at 30 years of age, he was out in the wilderness and temptation came against him from the enemy. What did he do? He quoted scripture. The word says, the word says, the word says. It was an encouragement to Christ. Billy Graham was once asked, how long does it take to prepare a, a message? And he says, a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> he was a man known for being in the scriptures. Uh, stories told of people walking through his house and there'd be Bibles at the, at the dining room table, one on the coffee table, one on the, the, the buffet. And it was said that Billy Graham would walk through and he'd just have a snack during the day. Oh, what's this Psalms day? And he'd have snacks of scripture during the day as well as his big meal of scripture of the morning. The scriptures, as Paul says in chapter 15 here, are for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. We have endurance to develop this Christ-like character when we're in the word and we allow the word to encourage us that we may have hope. I... Uh, was thinking about that. How does the Old Testament bring us encouragement? How does it give us hope? Well, when I read about Noah, and I think that it's never rained before in the history of the earth at that stage, and God says, I'm going to flood the earth, and he does. I think, wow, God is a God that does what he says he's going to do and can be trusted. When I read of Abraham and God says to Abraham, go into another country and I'll, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars. I think, and he does. I think, wow, God is faithful and I can depend upon him. When I read the story of David, a young shepherd boy comes out against this giant. I think, man, there's, there's nothing that God can't overcome. No Goliath, no giant in my life that if I trust God, I can't overcome when I read Esther, I think of her story and I think, wow, God's plans are greater and more significant and, and far beyond I can ever dream or imagine. I just need to trust in him as we've heard this morning through the encouragement of one another. When I read the Psalms, I think, God is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. When I read the Proverbs, I think I can trust the Lord and when I do, he will set my path straight. This brings us hope, right? The encouragement of the scriptures brings hope. The message of the Bible, this is a message of hope. A message of hope that our world around us, our families, our community, our town needs to hear. And God has placed us, his missional community, to join him in that purpose to reach our town. And what's it look like? What's it look like when we become people of Christ-like character? Well, it's expressed beautifully in gospel unity. Verse 5 of chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. When we develop this Christ-like character, there's harmony, there's unity, there's oneness. Each of us, with our differing opinions, putting that aside to build one another up. There is harmony. 
And it's a beautiful picture. But do you notice there, it's only possible in accord with Christ. When we're walking in Christ, in accord with his word, surrendering ourselves to the instruction of scripture, the encouragement of scripture, there is harmony with one another in accord with Christ. By this, Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your what? Love for one another. It's a beautiful picture expressed, this living gospel harmony in Christ. We relate, how we relate, I should say, reveals the reality of the gospel to the world around us. Let me say that again. How we relate reveals the reality of the gospel to the world around us. As we were forgiven, so we should forgive. As we have received mercy, so should extend mercy. As we have received grace, we should be gracious to one another. As we have received the truth, we should speak truth in love towards one another. As we have been reconciled with God, let's reconcile our differences to one another. As we have been given peace with Almighty God, so too shouldn't we strive for peace with one another, building each other up. This is the picture of the church, of a Christian. We see this no better in Acts 2. Acts 2, we we read of... Uh, the believers in the early church. Acts 2, verse 44, all believers were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, so together in the temple, but also in their homes, living life together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, There's that gospel community. Praising God and having favour with all the people. See the impact it has with their community around them? Having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As the community endeavoured to live this way together in unity, the Lord added to their number day by day. And I don't think that's a biological growth there, having children. (laughs) That's a spiritual growth, an adoption into the family. Day by day, the Lord added to their number. There is impact that happens in the community. That uh, is a beautiful picture. But um, this, this unity is not just for our benefit. Paul makes it clear in this this passage in Romans 15. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? May you have unity that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, our end goal of being united, the end goal Paul is talking about here, isn't that we would, uh, we, we would experience the fullness of life, yes, but that's not the end goal here. What's the end goal that he's talking about? The end goal is the glory of God. The glory of God here amongst us, but also the glory of God out there amongst the community. That people would come to know this loving God, having a personal relationship with him, and that God's glory would spread out and go beyond. Notice the word together. It's not about one person being a lone soldier. Together you may with one voice, that's one heart, one voice, praise the Lord, bring glory to the Lord together. When together, when we're together, we bring glory to God. And there's a picture of this from verse 8 onwards. Paul talks about the Jews and the Gentiles, some being circumcised, some not. Difference of opinions, debatable matters there. He says, who cares? Together they bring glory to God. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, for his people. And, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. When we are united, God is glorified. And beautiful picture there about that. Can you imagine, can you imagine just for a minute, how different our town would be if God was glorified in every household, in every business. How different our town would be if every church together glorified God. Could you imagine how different our town would be if every school glorified God, praised God, knew Jesus personally, it would have a profound impact. We wouldn't need a police headquarters in our town. <laughs> we wouldn't have people homeless and desperate. We wouldn't have people fearful. We wouldn't have people feeling like they've got to take their own lives. This is the vision God wants us to have for our town. This is why he's made us a missional community, implanted the gospel within our DNA and helping us to live that out together. We need each other. We depend on each other for the glory of God. But where's it all begin? It begins with us with this attitude and intention to build one another up. And so as we, as we come into a time of communion, as we remember our example in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we, we think about the encouragement that the word gives us, as we reflect on our interaction with each other, let us just take a moment to ponder and pause. Is there anything I've got to get right with my brother and sister? Maybe today, maybe today you decide, 
not to take communion because you know there's something between you and another brother or sister. But let's, as we come to this feast where we remember the forgiveness in Christ, the unity, the oneness we have in Christ, let's, let's come to a point of repentance ourselves. Because when we come to that point of repentance, when, when we come to a point of unity together, God is going to continue to do far beyond we could ever dream or imagine in our town. Thanks, Mark. Lord, we just, we thank you for your word. And I, and I want to thank you for my church family here. And Lord, we do strive for oneness. And I, I experience the, your love through my church here and I thank you for that. But Lord, there are times when we, we allow insignificant matters to become front and centre in our lives. And we ask your forgiveness for that. Lord, today we just, we come and humbly thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace and for your love and for calling us as your people, this community, to be on mission with you. Lord, we, we take now and receive this, this bread and this cup, remembering the, the great sacrifice you went to, your servant heart, your love, your desire to build up your church. And Lord, we, we want to unite with you in that, with the same heart, with the same vision that you had for the world so, Lord, we, we receive you, but we also receive your mission for the world. And we join you in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.